everyone. I am Farah Kimji, and you are listening to the Futura Talks podcast. I believe the future will be built by those who see opportunity where others see uncertainty. It will be built by people that don't look like the traditional leaders of our past, but by women and individuals from diverse backgrounds that see the world differently and who are driven to make it better for all. This podcast will feature these people, self-made leaders and entrepreneurs that defy odds and are motivated to build a better future. We will also share practical advice for how you can unlock your full potential as the leader of your own Futura. Now, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Futura Talks. Joining us on the podcast this week is Nadia Ladak. Nadia is the co-founder and CEO of Marlo, a menstrual health brand that has created the first ever lubricated tampon. She led the team's fundraising strategy and raised $500,000 from investors and received $250,000 in non-dilutive grants. The brand is going viral on TikTok with over 50 million views and has been featured in Global News, Canadian Living, Vancouver Sun, The Kit, and more. Beyond the product, the team is taking a community-driven approach to reduce the stigma around menstrual health through education and conversations. Nadia recently traveled to Germany to speak on a panel about women entrepreneurship at the G20 Young Entrepreneur Summit. She has been recognized as one of Canada's top 30 under 30 by Bay Street Bull and as one of the top 29 women leading the modern menstrual movement by Girlboss. She is on the Startup Women Advocacy Network at Startup Canada, where she speaks with government leaders to advocate for women and youth entrepreneurs. She speaks openly about her journey as a 23-year-old woman, youth and BIPOC founder, women's health and femtech innovation, leaving her corporate consulting job to pursue her startup and building an e-commerce DTC brand. Nadia is committed to giving back to her community through her role as a member of the National Strategic Planning Committee at Girl Guides and as a mentor for Junior Achievement, where she provides coaching to high school students as they start their own small businesses. I've been watching Nadia and Marlo from afar on LinkedIn and Instagram, and I've been so impressed by her, and I'm just really honored to be sitting down in conversation with her today. And I'm really just looking forward to diving in. So Nadia, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Yeah. So before we dive into all the impressive things that you're doing at Marlowe, I'd like to take things back and I want to learn about young Nadia. So tell us a little, you're young now, but younger not Nadia. So tell us about your upbringing and you know, what you were like as a child and what you aspired to be when you grew up. So growing up, a lot of people don't know, but I actually wanted to be a teacher and um, more specifically a music teacher. So throughout high school, I played piano, guitar. I was in like every choir we had at, and, um, in high school. 
Um, but I always did find that I had an entrepreneurial mindset. So throughout high school, um, as my part-time job, I actually started my own tutoring business. Um, I called it ACE and I okay. was tutoring high school students or other high school students and also like elementary, middle school students in math and science and really loved. That's kind of what sparked my interest in teaching. So I really loved that tutoring business and being able to work with youth. But I also really liked like growing my tutoring business and marketing it um, and getting to work with different people. And so I think that kind of, although I didn't know it at the time, maybe sparked some of my my entrepreneurial mindset and what led me to choosing to pursue business in addition to music in university and then going on to, to start Marlowe after that. That's amazing. Like you obviously had that entrepreneurial gene from back then. I love the name of that tutoring company ACE. Like I would definitely <laughs> take le- mentoring and tutoring from someone with that name for their business. And, you know, did you have other entrepreneurs around you at the time that were maybe influencing you or were there any examples of entrepreneurs that you looked up to? My family uh, immigrated to Canada. We didn't have too many entrepreneurs. My parents both kind of went the corporate route and did corporate business or public sector. But I did have one uncle who was a doctor and he eventually left um, his his clinic that he was working at to actually start a set of own clinics. And so I think that was a really cool way to view entrepreneurship. And I saw like the flexibility it provided him and the impact he was having, the like innovation he was doing within the medical field. And I think a lot of times we think entrepreneurship has to be like big startups or big ventures and entrepreneurship looks really different. It could be a restaurant that someone started. It could be like this where they started their own clinic. So maybe not the traditional version that is viewed in the media as an entrepreneur, but definitely people who were doing their own things and being flexible as well. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it's such a broad term entrepreneurship and really it just means going out and doing something on your own and and bringing others along to, to join you on that potentially. But I find you're right. A lot of times we think it's this like, you know, somewhat from the outside glamorous thing where you're starting a big tech platform and raising Mm -hmm. all this capital, but it really could just be working for yourself. Right. And so I I love that you had that exposure to someone around you that was doing things a little bit differently than the traditional path. Um, So tell me a little bit then, you know, you told us about what you were up to in high school. What did you end up going to? You said you went, you know, that's what influenced your decision to go to take business in university. Tell me a little bit about your university years and all the way from that point to before you started Marlowe. Definitely. So in university, I did the Ivy Business School program at Western. And the way the program is structured, you do two years of one program, and then you do the two years of the business program. And the whole idea is that they want to bring people from many different disciplines to come together. So some people study like engineering in the first two years, some people do like science. I actually took a completely different route and did music. So with that like teaching thing in mind, with thinking I wanted to maybe be a music teacher, I did music for my first two years. And I thought, okay, maybe I'll end up in the entertainment business. I'll work in like a record company or something. Um, So did music my first two years and then did the business program. And through that started to really like consulting. And I thought like there's really cool opportunities to work on strategies with businesses and to be really creative. So I liked that I could still incorporate the creativity I had from music into the business program through doing something like consulting. 
Um, so throughout university, my entire university years was like, or the, the years of Ivy at least, were all like consulting clubs and doing something called the community consulting project where you work with nonprofits. So really was trying to develop that. And then after graduating, ended up working and consulting at KPMG in our customer experience team and was really able to work on some cool retail clients um, and really grow that side of it. But throughout that whole that whole process, I actually was also really interested in entrepreneurship. So we took a course in our last year of university called New Venture Project. And the idea of the course is to actually start a business and come up with the idea. And then the course walks you through all the steps of how would you actually make this come to life and how do you build that business plan? And so it was in that course that Marlowe started and we all just thought, oh, it's going to be a school project. It's going to be fun to learn about entrepreneurship. But we fell so much in love with the problem and seeing the impact that we could have that after graduating, we thought, you know, we can't actually just let this go. So even though we were working full time jobs, we were working on Marlowe on the side and getting that up and going. And then eventually I ended up quitting my consulting job to work full time on Marlowe. And that's kind of where we're at today. Now I still work full time on Marlowe. Oh my gosh. I love so much of this story because I can relate to it. I I did a business undergrad. My favorite, I didn't actually have an entrepreneurship class in my Mm -hmm. undergrad. Um, This was back in like, I graduated in 06. So I'm kind of dating (laughs) myself here. But then I went on a few years later to do my MBA and we had a, a similar course like this new venture project. And I still think about the business that I started in that, Mm -hmm. in that course, but like you said, 90% of the people actually probably closer to a hundred percent of the people don't actually go on and launch that business. It's not very common. Mm -hmm. And so talk to me a little bit about that. When did it go from, well, we'll back up. We'll talk about Marlo in a second, but where was that pivot pivotal moment where it went from an idea on a page to a program in a, a course that you were taking, um, to then saying, you know what, we're going to quit our full-time jobs. You know, you were a consultant at KPMG, which is, you know, considered a really good job to have right out of undergrad. When did you guys decide that, okay, you know what, we actually want to go out and do this full-time and what was going on in your life when you were, you know, going through that thought process? So in fourth year in the course, we were doing all of like the research behind Marlowe. So we were doing like customer feedback, doing surveys, um, created our whole business plan. And then at the end of the course, there was like a pitch competition where you could win a bit of money and and get sponsorship from professors and things. So we actually ended up winning that pitch competition. And I think we got like $500. So a small amount to start to test the idea. And we were like, okay, like, let's actually start to test it. Let's do some testing and see what happens. So we sent out like regular tampons and almost like a ketchup pack of lubricant to like a hundred different people. And we're like, just test it and see if the concept of using lubricant and tampons makes it easier. Like this is our hypothesis and we just want to see if it works. And so we did that. And the feedback we got on the survey was just like overwhelmingly positive. And there was like, we sent it to a whole bunch of different age groups and no matter what the age group, whether it was like a young person who just got their period or maybe someone post-pregnancy and they had vaginal dryness, everyone was like, this is so much more comfortable. We can't believe no one's ever thought of this before. And so I think with that feedback, we were like, this is cool. Like we might be actually onto something. And so we started to actually like source suppliers, start to develop more formal prototypes of how the product could look. We ended up partnering with a research lab. Um, We got our Health Canada and FDA approval to bring the product to market. And I think as I started to see some of this momentum happening, I just kept falling more and more in love with the problem. And I was doing so much of it in the evenings and on weekends and 
we were starting to get interest from investors. And I thought, okay, now it's the time, I think that it's ramping up enough that I can quit my job. And I, we didn't have a full income at the time that I quit my job. So I quit my full-time consulting job and actually went to work retail um, for part-time so that I could have more time to work on Marlowe. So I was working part-time at Mountain Equipment Co-op because I love camping and then was doing Marlowe on the side of it. So I'd be able to pay my expenses. And then once we raised our fundraising round, um, we had some money we could use to pay ourselves. We got some grants from the government. And then I thought, okay, this is this is worth it. And I always thought, you know, the worst thing that happens is we go back and we find a new job, but we're young and we have this idea and it's starting to take off. So why not give it a shot and see what happens? Oh my God. I love that. It's just so inspiring that something that was truly a side hustle where you just decide like, that's pretty, pretty grassroots for you to say, you know what, we're just going to send some tampons and a <laughs> packet of lubricant and just test it out. Like that's a true MVP in my mind, right? Of uh, just getting, you know, getting something out there. But the key, I always tell people, cause I do work with a lot of startups is when you, the quicker you can get something out there, the quicker you can get feedback and mm-hmm. the feedback's going to direct you on your next step. Right. So that's kind of what you did, uh, which I, which I love. And then I think obviously that belief in others and from investors and from people who wanted to use your product probably really strengthened your realization that this is a thing, right? Like I, we can do something with this. And then I don't know, just like, as I sit back and look at it, the market size is incredible, especially Mm -hmm. if you're, there aren't that many direct competitors. So, you know what, tell us a little bit about before we get into it, obviously I want to take you to take us back to the moment where you're sitting in that class and mm-hmm. you you're tasked with this idea to come up with a new venture. How did you guys actually land on lubricated tampons, right? Walk us through that process. So it started when our professors, they told us um, we have to find a problem that we're passionate about solving. And they said, all entrepreneurs have to find that problem. And so we decided that as a team, we would go about our week and just see throughout that week, what kinds of problems do we encounter? And so I know one thing that we were all passionate about was sustainability. So we had the idea to do something around like cricket protein, um, or we also um, really liked having coffee and smoothies in the morning. So we thought, should we do like a caffeinated smoothie of some kind? And then one of my co-founders um, was on her period at the time and was like, there's actually no innovation in the menstrual health space. Like we did some research and learned that the tampon has been the same in the last 89 years. And the only big innovation was going from cardboard to plastic applicators. And there was like diva cup and like period underwear and other things starting to come out, but the actual tampon itself mm. has not been innovated on and it's not really the best product to use. And so she had told us that she specifically has had so much pain inserting tampons for as long as she can remember. And she's a swimmer and she would have to use tampons to swim and compete in her sport. And we were like, this is so frustrating for her. How could we do something about it? And so at the time she had gone to the doctor to see maybe there is something out there. And the advice she got from her doctor was to spit on the tampon. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know. And that was just the defining moment of, there is no innovation in this space. This is our clue that we can have something here and, and work on it and try and figure out a solution to make this problem easier for a lot of people because it wasn't just her. So many people around the world have this problem. Curious if uh, it was a female or a male doctor, do you know? I, I actually can't remember that part. People always ask and I'm like, I actually can't remember. Either way, one. like it's 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 one, if it doesn't really matter technically because if a woman's also telling you this, that that tells you that 
even she's desperate for like, there's nothing else out there that she can think of. Right. So, um, just, I was just curious about that, but this is so interesting because you're right. Like when we think about it, obviously now femtech has kind of become a bit of a category Mm -hmm. in, in the investment space, but I would say on my radar, I don't know, you might know better. It really wasn't a category until two years ago, like Mm -hmm. two or three, if I know, maybe there was some, some other groups doing things in the space, but for it to kind of become a a known category, that's Mm -hmm. only been in the last few years. And there's, like you said, there's been entrepreneurs like the period on your underwear, Joanna Nix and, and Nixwear are doing that. Um, but even from what I've understood, you know, she faced a lot of issues, even trying to bring that product to market. So tell me now, you know, you're entering a space where there hasn't been a lot of innovation, especially uh, specifically as it relates to the tampon. And, you know, this is a product that while 50% of women potentially use this or 50% of all humans, um, but within that you know, a percent, a large percentage of women are using this product daily. Mm -hmm. Um, yet it's something that we don't often talk about, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't even amongst ourselves, let alone with others. And now you're going to come out in this space, build a whole product for women in this space and potentially try to raise money from men or women in this space. You know, how did you, what was going on? Because I'm just curious, this is a big, big thing to take on, right? Like the tampon companies that are already out there have been around for so long. So what was going through your mind to say, you know what, we think we're the right people to take on this problem that is in a really large market? When we started, it was just with that initial product, but the more and more we got into the space, we realized, like you said, how much stigma and how much other issues were in the menstrual product industry as a whole. And so I think we got really inspired that not only can we create this product, we can do future femtech innovation, and we can also create almost like a movement around this brand. And it's what the media is now calling like the modern menstrual movement and that like menstruation is getting a Gen Z makeover. These are like some of the headlines, which is kind of funny to think about. But we realized like, yeah, this is something that happens to 50% of the population for almost one week every month for 39 years. And it's a key part of our health and no one wants to talk about it. So how can we start to spark these conversations? Because there's nothing wrong with getting your period. You need it as part of your overall health. Um, And so we started going on Instagram and TikTok and just like throwing content out there about like myth busting and like sparking conversations and like having memes and just like really kind of almost creating humor around the topic. And that really started to spark conversations. And we started to get like media interviews. We started to go on podcasts and talk about this topic. And it's been a really cool, exciting part of our brand is that we're building this entire community. And we had a few videos start to go viral on TikTok. So we've had now almost 70 million views on TikTok. And we saw that people are excited to talk about this. Like people are engaged, they want to open up this conversation. And so, although it is a really like over, like there is big competitors in the space, we realize this is something that they're not doing. They're not creating this community. They're not creating this modern menstrual movement around this topic. And so that's what we were like, this is what will help us stand out in the market by creating this education and conversation around our brand as well. Yeah, no, I love that. And, you know, I always say to people, there's always going to be competitors, but you're mm-hmm. actually in a market that's huge, right? Like, oh, so even if you can capture a very small percentage of the market, you can still have incredible success. Not saying that's what you're going to do. I think you're actually really going to revolutionize and change and transform the market. But 
How have you found, you know, this, you're getting all of this viral kind of movement around this because you're creating community. How have you found that men have been engaging with this? Are you, do you feel like you're now also changing the conversation about with men and including them in the process? Because that's kind of something that I've always felt like that's like, we just don't talk about it with, with men, but based on what you guys are doing, I think it's just bringing others into the conversation because, you know, men generally have women in their lives, whether it's their mother or whether it's their sister or whether it's their daughter or their partner or their girlfriend, like most men are interacting with women, yet this is some area that we just don't really talk about much with them. So how, how have you seen that starting to shift? We've definitely started to notice a shift um, at the beginning when we were starting to pitch this product to investors, which unfortunately were mostly men. Um, yeah. We realized that there was a lot of stigma. People, as soon as we said the word vagina or period, would just get so uncomfortable and like flinch or like you could tell they were visibly embarrassed or ashamed to talk about it. But then we would start to try and describe the problem as something maybe they could relate to because mm-hmm. we found that was the biggest thing. They don't actually experience the problem themselves. So they would feel uncomfortable and we needed to actually apply data and like show other examples so we would use um, like how would you like to dry shave without any shaving cream and that would kind of resonate with people or like putting in a contact without solution like how is it to put in a dry contact it feels like the worst thing ever so I think having some of those examples help people to understand that okay this is actually just a problem to solve not necessarily an uncomfortable topic and then they would go home to the women in their life like you said um, and they would ask their mom their sisters and say hey do you experience this problem and they would all be like yes like there's definitely days on my period where it's so uncomfortable and so then they would come back to us and say okay now we see what you're talking about we had those conversations and we do realize that it's a problem Um, and now more and more they don't have to have those conversations as soon as we go into a room they actually start to listen to us they know that femtech is an emerging category and so I think there is becoming more and more respect around the overall category and needing to take it seriously and not just from an innovation perspective but that it actually can be a good return on your money like this is like you said a huge market you can make so much money in this space and so people are realizing okay this is not just an impact type of side project this is like a huge industry that's going to be booming in the next few years yeah I think a lot of investors are waking up to the fact that there's a lot of money to be made specifically in this sector Mm -hmm. Um, especially because it's been an ignored sector yet, you know, it's, it, it affects 50% of the population. So that is a huge market size. So if you just look at it from a straight up business perspective, it's almost, um, what's the word naive to not be, or like stupid really to not want to be a part of this, right. Just from a money perspective. So how, like you said, those initial conversations were maybe, you know, the reception wasn't great. How have you found over the couple of years that you've now been at this, that that's changing? And, um, you know, how do you, how have you dealt with any of the challenges that you maybe have had faced initially when you were trying to raise capital, just challenges generally that any startup faces, regardless of the product that they're, um, selling, how have you navigated some of those, um, investor challenges or raising capital challenges? 
I think definitely the point around trying to make the problem applicable to um, people who maybe don't experience the problem themselves. And I think that's applicable to any startup. Like you have to be able to make sure that people who are not in your space and who are not in your industry can understand why that's a problem and also how big the problem is. Like people kept thinking, is this just something that happens to one or two women every month? Like this, this can't be a problem. And we're like, no, this happens to one in three women, like one in three women experience vaginal dryness or pain inserting tampons. And so I think showing how big the problem is also really helped us to overcome a lot of those early objections of people questioning whether or not it's really a problem. Um, and then I think more generally around raising capital, I think a lot of times people jump to the conclusion that we have to get venture right away or we have to get angel investment. And I think we've been so successful in getting like non-dilutive funding as well, whether that be through pitch competitions or grants, like a lot of the major banks have grants that you can apply for, um, especially for women entrepreneurs or people of color. So I think that has been really helpful for us too, is knowing, okay, we have these angel investors and we have sources on that side, but there's also equally just as much on the non-dilutive side that we can use to grow our business and then give up less ownership of the business as well. Yeah, I think that's really smart because obviously raising capital sounds really sexy, but people sometimes forget that you're giving up ownership of your company every time you do that, right? So every round you're diluting and diluting and diluting. Um, so there's obviously that now, are you guys in a revenue generating position now with your product? Are there sales coming in? Um, I can see that I can probably order some tampons. So how's like, how's the business and operation side of things going to really start to scale the the company? Yes, the product is available on the website. Um, our website's wearemarlo.com. If anyone is interested in checking it out and you can purchase the product one time to try, or we also offer a subscription. So part of that was people were complaining that every time at the last minute, they would forget to restock tampons and they would run to the shoppers or run to CVS and have to try and buy tampons last minute when they already had started their period. So our subscription model is like perfectly timed with your cycle to make sure that you don't have to worry about that. So we also offer the subscription model and we're also starting to enter into some retailers. So we're on well.ca, um, the online health and wellness marketplace. We're in a bunch of gyms. Uh, especially in Toronto around like sweat and tonic in New York or in a few gyms. And now we're really starting to talk to distributors and brokers to kind of grow to the next step of retail, which is uh, really exciting as well. So yeah, it is on the market. And um, a lot of our community finds out about us through TikTok, through Instagram, through like our blog content, um, through influencers. So we're really just focused right now on like marketing sales and building up the brand. Oh my gosh, it's so exciting because <laughs> like when you just said the subscription thing, it's like, what? How is this is the one business that should have always been a subscription, right? Like I have a, right. If you think about it, it's the most recurring plat platforms or the recurring revenue from that. It just makes mm -hmm. sense. And we have all of these D2C brands delivering things to people by subscription, supplements, protein powder. I get my kitty litter delivered <laughs> on subscription. Like how is that not already happened? And maybe some people are setting that up for themselves on Amazon or something, but other than that, like mm -hmm. that's brilliant. Yet we just always think, Oh, we just got to go to shoppers and pick this mm -hmm. up. And maybe we, you're like you said, don't have any on hand. So, so brilliant there. Um, and I know you've, you're, you're mentioning, okay, some other platforms where you're, you're going to be D to C, but what about, retail in the store? Is that something you're also working on that people could just pick up your product in stores? 
Yes, we're working on that as well. So later to come this year, um, some exciting announcements, but it's definitely in the works. So stay tuned. Yeah, early days. We'll have you back on the podcast to update us on that when you can. So that's really, really exciting. Um, And then, you know, obviously you're doing things really, really differently than your competitors, right? You're really creating a movement. You're creating community around this. And, and then you've also been really active on social media. Do you find that, you know, I'm not very familiar with TikTok. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Um, But I do know that a lot of brands are having a lot of success, like crazy amount of success by being on there. Are your competitors on there too? Or are you guys kind of owning this space right now? There are some competitors on TikTok as well, but I think a lot of TikTok is like the content you put out and like the unique brand and the unique voice. Um, So I think for us, we like are not afraid to use memes to like really kind of be open about these topics. We a lot of other brands have like very curated content. We will like just put random stuff out there, not make sure it's like never perfect. Um, it's rough edited because I think that's what people really like to see. They like to see that like authentic content, the behind the scenes. Like um, a couple of weeks ago, I was on the Global News Morning Show and I like filmed the entire process of like, come with me to get my makeup done and come with me like in behind the scenes on the set. And I think that's a cool part of being a, a smaller brand is that people like to follow along in the journey with you and to see how the team works together, see what the day in the life of an entrepreneur looks like. And that's not something that you can really get with some of the bigger tampon players and how they're posting their content. Yeah, I absolutely believe people want to support companies these days where they have some sort of connection to the founder, the founder's story, Mm -hmm. or the way they're doing things, if they're doing things more sustainably. Like, we're not sitting around following around whoever started Tampax and and seeing (laughs) what they're up to, right? And so I I, like, I'm going to be placing an order, I feel like, after this conversation, because it's a product I use all the time. And I've been consciously trying to go through a lot of the everyday products I use to see if there's other brands that I can support, especially if their product is, is good. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I am curious though, obviously a company like, you know, Tampax and Kotex and whoever else always, I don't know all these, those are the brands, but the companies PNG, I am assuming that owns most Mm -hmm. of those, you know, they have huge, huge budgets, like ridiculous. Right. And they've been in the business for a long time and they have huge advertising budgets. How are you guys doing things differently from that perspective? Is most of your marketing right now just organic through social media? Are you doing any paid advertising? I'm just curious about that because it's obviously early days for your company, but you're still having some incredible success. So how are you guys drumming up awareness and bringing visibility to your product? Most of it is all through digital. Um, so a lot of the organic content you described, but we'll also like do paid. So if a video is doing really well, we'll definitely run it as a paid ad on TikTok and boost it. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of SEO content as well. So we're targeting a lot of the key questions that our customer asks. We have a number of blogs that are like number one on Google for like, why does my tampon hurt? Or how to insert a tampon for beginners. And when you search those questions, the Marlowe blogs are the first ones that are coming up. So I think that has been bringing a lot of traffic to our website um, and then definitely the influencer partnerships so partnering with like lifestyle health and wellness influencers who are maybe doing like a day in the life and then marlo is part of their routine mm-hmm. uh, we just gift the product organically to them and then we see who resonates with it and posts about the product 
Um, and then, yeah, the retailers are kind of a new strategy and doing some pop-ups as well. Last summer, we did a bunch of pop-ups across Toronto at like Stacked Market um, and like a bunch of other kind of big locations. And so I think that's been cool to actually interact with our community in person and see how they resonate with the brand in real life. And a lot of them are like, oh, we saw you on TikTok or, oh, we've seen you on Instagram. Mm. And so actually seeing that people have heard about you and know about the brand, like that's just really cool as well. Yeah, it's really interesting how much social media is changing the advertising space, right? In the digital marketing and advertising spaces, it's a whole new game than before. And I think it's really quite amazing because it's allowing small brands to to get in there and to compete mm-hmm. and to to be known, right? So so exciting. So tell us now, you know, you you guys are at this. How big is your team and how how's it been for you to to manage a team in today's environment, especially with, you know, what we've gone through in the last few years. There's four of us on the team. Um, uh, and then there's also, we have a content creator. Her name is Asia and she manages our TikTok and she's been growing that community incredibly. So she's amazing. And then, yeah, the four co-founders, we all have different roles in the company, um, whether it's finance or marketing or sales. And we all started the the Marlo like in COVID. So we knew that we had to work remotely and we're actually from different parts of Canada so that we knew that we'd have to work in like different remote settings and across the country. But I think some things that we try to do is like still foster that culture, even in an online environment. So we have a channel called Marlo Love and we'll like send things that are like good things that the team has done or good like messages from our community or like shout outs. And I feel like that helps to still maintain the culture. We also send like summaries of our weekends on Monday mornings and like, oh, what's something cool you got up to on the weekend? And people will send a picture of, oh, I went on a hike with my boyfriend or, oh, I took my dog out here and that was really cool. So I think still trying to find those creative ways and we'll do like monthly team bonding sessions where we'll do like journaling together or we'll do a yoga class together, um, even just like over Zoom. So I think yeah. kind of having those options to to still bring the team together in that virtual environment as well. No, I love that because, you know, I I have a background in commercial real estate. So one of the big debates that's still going on right now is about returning to the office. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are forgetting that there's a lot of companies that have started in the last three years and by default had to be remote and are still growing and having success. And they're finding different ways to connect and kind of learning that maybe an office isn't as central to the way we work. So I loved hearing that perspective of like, this is actually what it's like for a company that started and is growing and scaling during this time and day and age, right. In, of, of, uh, what we've just gone through and that you guys are still having an incredible amount of success with that. So, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. What, what would you have, what would you say, obviously you're building a company, you know, you started to build a company right in the heart of the pandemic, What would you say outside of that, or maybe part of that, that has been the biggest challenge that you have faced, you know, personally as a founder, and then also as, as a company during this time? It actually is related to the pandemic. So before we started Marlo, we didn't, we didn't realize how much regulation is around this space. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense because it's something that's 
going into your body, but we learned that it's a class two medical device that is in the same category as like rubber gloves or condoms and has to get approval from Health Canada or FDA to bring a product like this to market. And so we were going through this process during the pandemic and the timelines were very delayed. I mean, to be fair, they had better things on their hand that they were worried about. And I'm sure vaccines and everything, that's a lot more important than bringing this to market. But it was just things that were supposed to take two months, ended up taking eight months. And when you're a startup and you have a limited budget and you're trying to make ends meet, like that can one or two months can have a huge impact on your runway and on your timelines. And so I think being able to manage that, we almost actually even put out an announcement that we were going to launch and we didn't like we had the approval and we were going to get an announcement that we're launching, but our supply got delayed and our supply was supposed to come in like October and didn't end up coming till December because of COVID shipping delays. And you can probably remember all the supply chain jokes and memes that were going on. We were experiencing that in real time. Um, So that was also a challenge of just like things were taking so long and timeline and shipping and costs were like three times what they were before the pandemic to ship things over the overseas. So it was, it was a huge challenge, but we've got through it. We got the approval, the products here now. So at least we, we got through it at the end of it all. Yeah. I mean, that is a, a real challenge that so many people face, but for a young, you know, for a startup, that's just like ready to go. Right. That's a tough one. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to see you guys have overcome that one. And what about you personally as an, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a founder, is there you know, some, some challenges that you still continue to kind of navigate and deal with in your day to day or just overall? I think sometimes a challenge is like the ambiguity of, of entrepreneurship, but that also is kind of what makes it exciting on the one hand, like you're doing something from scratch. We're building a brand new category. There's no playbook for how to bring this product to market. And we're learning ourselves. It comes with a lot of accountability and a lot of decision-making. And a lot of times we like, we like to say that we have to make decisions with imperfect information because, you know, in school you have a whole case and everything's there for you to decide what to do. But here we're like doing the research we're testing, but we don't know how it's going to turn out because we're just kind of making assumptions. We're thinking about how much revenue it'll bring in. We're thinking about how many customers will resonate with that ad. And so that kind of is a challenge of not knowing how something's going to turn out. But that is kind of the most exciting part is as a startup, you can kind of test a bunch of different things until you find something that works. And sometimes, you know, people are scared. It has to be perfect before it gets to market, but you can test two or three things before you land on the thing that actually works and that helps the brand take off. Yeah, that's a really important thing that you just shared because a lot of times people don't even bring their ideas to market because of that need to be perfect. And the reality is it never will be. You're always just iterating, right? The next version's coming out and the next version's coming out. And you got to start with like a beta at some point to just get it out there. And that imperfect information that you have, but also the taking that imperfect action, right. Mm -hmm. Is really, really key. I actually have a whole episode on, on that topic about how imperfect action, um, when you take it, it actually creates what it does is it creates impact. And if you Mm -hmm. look at the first three letters of the word imperfect and action, it actually is impact, but Mm -hmm. that's the greatest thing that is the benefit of, you know what, I got it out there imperfectly, but somehow I've impacted someone right? I've created some sort of impact and then I'll keep, keep on that momentum of creating even more impact. But when you just sit and keep that product for yourself and you don't get it out there because you're waiting for it to be perfect, you can't really help anyone. 
right? Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't yeah. uh, impact anyone. So thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Um, okay. So you guys are still in your really, really early stages of your business, but what are your plans to continue growing and scaling your business? And where do you see yourself and Marlo in, let's say the next five years? Definitely the retailers is something we want to do, expanding to retailers across Canada and also across the U.S. because more and more of our customers are now coming from the U.S., which is really exciting. We want to expand beyond North America into new international markets. I know the U.K. is something that we get a lot of customer messages saying, when are you shipping to the U.K.? Please ship to me. So that's definitely on our radar and just more international markets in general. And then I think beyond that, like when it comes to the five-year plan, our goal is to really just normalize this whole category of menstrual wellness. And, you know, a lot of times it's called feminine hygiene and it's, you just have tampons and pads, but we want to make it like wellness. Like how is this an overall key part of your health? And, you know, people prioritize their physical wellness, whether it's, you know, going to spin or doing workouts, going to the gym and they prioritize their mental wellness with like therapy or other aspects. They journal, they meditate, but no one has ever really innovated around this reproductive wellness. And there is a lot of femtech innovation happening, but how are we, you know, growing alongside our community because maybe now they're getting their period, but then in a few years, they'll learn about birth control and then they'll learn about fertility and then eventually they'll hit menopause. So Mm -hmm. how can we grow alongside our community as they navigate all these aspects of reproductive wellness? Oh my gosh. I absolutely love that. I actually have two of my best friends, they're twin sisters, and I went to university with them and they have their own naturopathic medicine, um, clinic in, uh, Durham region. And this is an area that they're focused on is a for fertility. But one of the topics that they're really talking about that I didn't actually know the term. And I think I'm maybe approaching that period as I'm turning 40 soon is perimenopause. It's sort of Mm -hmm. that period between, you know, fully menstruating and, and being in full on menopause and, What's interesting is there's so much information coming out about that area. So I love that you guys are trying to say, let's, let's talk about it all. Let's be there from that start till that, that end Mm -hmm. of that cycle and really support women throughout it, because there's so many changes happening in our body that up until more recently, we were just sort of left to ourselves to deal with, or our Mm -hmm. family doctor who really didn't have that many great solutions to help us think manage things like hormones or just have more mm-hmm. comfortability during our period or all of these things. So, you know, I really think that you guys are at the right time in a movement that's ha- happening. That's so big mm-hmm. around the world. I actually just saw Oprah post about perimenopause really mm-hmm. recently too, right? So mm-hmm. you're, you guys are really well positioned to be a part of a movement that honestly has probably was needed, but everything comes at the, at the, at the right time. But it's just so interesting still to me that this has been something that's been kind of ignored for so long. So I'm happy to see that some real change is coming in the space and you guys are going to be a part of leading that, that movement. Um, it's very, very exciting. Um, I'm all, I always ask entrepreneurs on this podcast, this question, because usually when you have one idea, you've got a, a few um, <laughs> others. So do you have any other business ideas on the horizon, or maybe it's part of what you're already doing with Marlo um, that you can share with us? We definitely have future plans for Marlo and we have some exciting new products that we have ideas for and and new things on the community side. Um, We also have a Slack channel called Future Business Ideas and, you know, 
I told you, I knew you had that channel. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We do have that, a bunch of different ideas. They're all secretive that hopefully one day we can bring to market. But yeah, we definitely think about how could we maybe be a serial entrepreneur one day or how can we start our own fund? I know me personally, like I would love to give back to other like BIPOC entrepreneurs or other women entrepreneurs and help fund their businesses. So that's also even something that we potentially could aspire to be one day as well. I love that. And that's actually something that's of interest to me because I feel like, you know, if more women had access to resources to actually get Mm -hmm. their businesses started, you know, there'd be more women following the path of entrepreneurship. So giving back and giving those, you know, being the source of those resources is really important. Um, So I love that idea. Okay. So as we kind of round out uh, the, the, our, our time here together today, I'd love to ask if you have any advice for our listeners who might be considering their own entrepreneurial endeavors um, and, or maybe they're already on one, but yeah, do you have any advice that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think one thing would just be tapping into your networks, um, especially the entrepreneurship ecosystem in Canada. That's one really nice part about being an entrepreneur that's Canadian is there's so much out there, whether it's accelerators or incubators or um, like launch pads, like there's so much innovation happening in Canada and there's so many resources there to support you. And as a young entrepreneur, I will reach out to people on LinkedIn and be shocked that some of these people are willing to talk to us, but people are just so willing to like give of their time. If it's 20 minutes, 30 minutes, Minutes, share their journey, give you advice, connect you to other people who could help you. So I think if you have an idea that you're interested in, like find the people in your space who are leaders in it and who are growing their businesses and just have, you know, a 15, 20 minute chat with them, see what you can learn and then try and apply to some of these programs as well, because that has been so crucial in our journey of we did Next 36, we did League of Innovators, we had a DMZ grant, like so much stuff has helped us get to where we're at today. And I think we should definitely be taking advantage of that as, as Canadians. Yeah, there is an incredible amount of support now for entrepreneurs that is out there. And Mm -hmm. I absolutely believe that, you know, when you're in those communities, it just inspires you even more, right? And because entrepreneurship can be a lonely journey sometimes, especially in the initial stages. So you have to kind of create your community. So that's really great advice to say, you know, A, reach out to people that you can learn from and B, join these groups, right? Mm -hmm. Apply for these grants, be a part of these um, accelerator programs and and other hubs that are surrounding entrepreneurs. Because even here in Canada, like there's so many, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So I always like to ask a question at the end. And for 2023, I've decided that I'm I'm going to actually ask one random question to each of my guests because before (laughs) I used to ask the same questions, they could prepare. So this time I'm going to ask you, um, do you have an item on your bucket list that you would, you know, that you want to share with us? Ooh, yes. Um, I love to travel and I love being outdoors and I've really loved starting to combine the two, like doing hiking abroad and and like long trips. So one thing that I want to do next year that me and my boyfriend have been talking about is do climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, I think that is something really exciting that we're hoping we can do. I'd also love in the future to like do a bike trip in Italy, um, hike the Camino trail, just like stuff like that is is really exciting to me to be outdoors and, and travel and experience the world. Oh my gosh. So amazing. Well, I hope you get to check all of those off. And, you know, as we round out here, how can our listeners learn more about you and, and about Marlo and engage with you guys online? And we'll be sure to add all of that information to our show notes. 
Perfect. Um, our website is wearemarlo.com. So if you want to check out our story, check out the product and purchase it, you can check out our website. Our TikTok is at wearemarlo and our Instagram is at marlo. If you want to kind of see the social media side and the content and, you know, everything from what color should your period blood be to the step-by-step guide to insert a tampon, all of that is on our social media. And I also post a lot of my behind the scenes journey on my LinkedIn and on my Instagram at Nadia underscore Ladex. So if you want to follow along behind the scenes of what it's like being a founder and the day in the life, then definitely follow uh, some of my channels as well. Awesome. I love that. Well, I am going to go and check out your website and maybe place an, well, not maybe I'll place an order. I'm going to try this out. So <laughs> you've got me really excited. Thank you so much, Nadia, for being here today. I can't wait to see what else you guys do in this space. I will definitely be watching. So thank you again. No, thank you so much for having me. It was so exciting to be here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Futura Talks. I hope it has left you inspired and motivated to pursue your dreams, find your calling, and follow your heart in your life and business. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean so much to me if you would consider leaving a review and better yet, sharing this episode with someone who will be inspired to start building their own Futura. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and I will see you next week.